Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Landides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, we have Anthony Ant Dog Figueroa, a longtime Strike Force undercard fighter. This is a very, very interesting conversation. We really delve into the mentality of what makes a fighter, how a fighter deals with wins and losses, uh, how they deal with winning streaks and losing streaks, how they deal with losing to the same fighter twice. And we really get into Anthony's experiences within the confines of Strike Force. talk about what he's up to today. He's a, 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 a very good coach uh, now at this point. He coaches out of Gilroy, California, uh, which is in the, the Bay Area. I actually used to live in Gilroy. I, I trained at Anthony's gym a couple of times, and so it's good to reconnect with him and really get into his, his kind of his psyche and his approach. And, and again, I, I think this is a fascinating conversation. So without further ado, let's get to it. Joining us today on the line with us, my very special guest, Anthony Antdog Figueroa. Anthony, how you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Good. I, I appreciate you taking the time to join us, and this is this going to be an interesting chat. I'm looking forward to talking with you. I know you're a, a Bay Area guy. That's where I'm from. I used to live in Gilroy, uh, so I, 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 you know, we've crossed paths before, and so I, I'm I'm excited to kind of reconnect with you and talk with you again. But if you're ready, let's uh, let's dive right in. Let's do it. All right. So you made your pro MMA debut in California in 2006. You won one fight before heading to Strikeforce. You're, I know you trained with Kung Lee. Was he your main, your main trainer? And if so, how'd you get connected with him and how'd you get started in MMA? Um, yeah, when, when I started, he was, he was definitely my, my main coach and that was where I trained at. And it was more of a sand show, uh, gym. So, uh, I, I kind of got started like, doing stand-up. I did some Taekwondo. I was doing Taekwondo tournaments. I, um, you couldn't punch. I did boxing when I was a kid. And then I kind of looking for gyms and I found Kung Lee and then he kind of guided me, you know, from there on into MMA. Cause he was transitioning from San show to MMA. And so we just kind of all followed as a team where I went right into MMA. And so I started there and then I ended up at AKA, you know, at the end. Okay. So are you, I know, I know, I believe when your gym started, you were affiliated with Kung. Are you affiliated with, with him still or with, are you with AKA or are you just your own? Uh, I'm my own. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm my own. Now I'm just, you know, I'm just running my own gym. So okay. I'm not really affiliate affiliates. Uh, my gym's not, but um, yeah, like I went from Kung's and then I, I kind of transitioned into uh, going to AKA and uh, you know, I've been at AKA for a lot of years too. And I kind of finished my pro career from AKA. Okay. Okay. And obviously uh, just a who's who of fighters from, from AKA. So cool to hear that you're, you're amongst that group. Um, you ended up fighting six times for strike force, ended up with a three and three record within that specific promotion. What was it like being, again, being local, what was it like being able to, f to, to fight in front of your, your friends and your family? Is there, is there extra pressure in, involved in that because you know, people that are in the crowd? Uh, you know, uh, it was, it was fun. It was more fun than anything. When I look back and I think about it now, it was just, it was awesome. It was exciting. I had fun. It was a good time. It was great to be like fighting in front of the front of my home crowd. I liked it, but at the same time, I always, I always liked fighting away too, because um, I don't know what it was. Maybe the, like you said, maybe it was a pressure or just being away and, and kind of just makes it a little bit different going into en enemy territory. I, I kind of liked that more than being home 
fighting in front of the home crowd. It was kind of weird, but okay. Well, so yeah. I, if I may, maybe maybe the thought process is it's also kind of new. I mean, you you know, you're driving from Gilroy, assuming you lived in Gilroy, but driving from Gilroy up to San Jose or down to San Jose, I get or up to San Jose. Always forget if it's north or south. Uh, but as you head up north, I mean, you're talking half an hour, you know, versus flying somewhere or driving a couple hours and it's somewhere new it's somewhere different so maybe it's just a little bit more exciting for you yeah i just like that i always like to i like to kind of fight away when i did fight i enjoyed i enjoyed being away like going to battle going off to battle where when i was here i was home it was great i I loved it too and i loved having all the fans and like the support like i you know there's i don't know it it was both i enjoyed both equally and they, they both kind of had their um their 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 benefits, you know, like having fun with, with both of them. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you were very much a staple of the undercard in those, those early strike force events. You, you made your debut in later in 2006, not the very, not at Shamrock versus Gracie, but at, uh, I believe it was triple threat, which was later in the, in the year. What was it like kind of seeing, you know, this became your local promotion, basically. What, what was it like seeing it really grow and develop? How, how exciting was that for you? Uh, it was awesome. You know, it kind of brought me good opportunity. It got me, it brought me opportunities. It, uh, you know, it got me some shine. It was, it was cool to fight on the big local stage around here, like in the HP and just being part of that promotion and watching it grow is, is pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, despite regularly putting on fights featuring fighters under 155 pounds, Strikeforce never had any featherweight, bantamweight, flyweight champions or anything like that. Did you ever hear talk of, of creating belts for those weight classes or was it just always just kind of a st- they were standalone divisions pretty much? You know, there was never really too much talk, but when, I remember when Strikeforce went in with Elite XC. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I don't know if Elite XC had a champion at those weight classes. I don't, I don't think they did. I think WEC was the only one that was the really one, promoting. Yeah. yeah, it was really promoting. Uh, champions at those weight classes yeah so it was just i i kind of knew you know and then towards the end of my like i'd say towards the end of when i was uh fighting for the promotions or fighting in general the 125 started coming out mm-hmm. and then the ufc and the wec and so that was cool to see it you know i kind of feel like i was there when when um it was still evolving i was still a stand-up fighter in those fights too and then I, I learned some jujitsu and then I learned wrestling during my professional career. So I was kind of like that last end wave of that, like martial arts versus martial arts wrestler versus mm-hmm. stand up or stand up guy versus jujitsu. So I, that was pretty cool to be part of that. I feel like. Do you, the, do you feel like, I mean, obviously the 125 class is, is a much bigger deal now um, than it was. I mean, it didn't really even really exist uh, at, at that point when you were really fighting. Do you, you know, look at it now and be like, man, I, I, I wish I was born 10, 10 years too early or, or yeah. anything, anything like that. Are you more natural 125 or than 135? Yeah. Even when I was fighting at 35, I was weighing in at like 133, like heavy eating okay. pasta, going to weigh ins, fully hydrated. So I never even really had to cut. So I was always like natural 125 or, you know, even when, and then I, at the end, I they opened up 25s. I was probably cutting eight pounds easy, you know? So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. I, I interviewed Kung uh, several weeks back and uh, I actually just ran it a few weeks ago as we, as we record this, but, uh, or as this episode runs, but um, he, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about that. As, 
you know, man was maybe he was born 10 years too early that if, you know, if he'd come into MMA with his striking abilities and also be a very good wrestler and that sort of, thing, maybe he would have, you know, maybe he would have gone even in further and longer in the sports yeah. or kind of a similar situation with you. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about, I want to really talk about the mentality of a fighter talk about dealing with wins and losses uh, in strike force. You won your first couple, you won a couple fights by decision and yeah. you also won one by, by strikes TKO via punches. Is it for you? Is it a win is a win is a win. It, you know, it doesn't really matter as far as, you know, how a fight finishes or is it, you want to get, I mean, everybody's going to say they want to get the finish because it's more exciting, but at the same time, if the fight goes the distance, I mean, that's more work. I mean, that's, you, you get to put on more of your skill set on, on display and that sort of thing. Do you have a, a preference between the two and, and kind of, again, talk a little bit about the mentality of, uh, of, you know, getting a win by decision or a win by, by, by finish. Yeah. I, I, for myself, it was the mentality of going in and just winning the fight. Like I just wanted to fight, you know, I was trying to finish. I was trying to win the fight. I never really thought about, I think that there's like a couple of different kinds of fighters now. And there's the ones that go into fight with the purpose and want to win. And, and every round they're trying to finish. Then you got guys who compete. You know, they compete and they wanted, they're, they're doing what they, what it takes to kind of, to win the round or doing what it takes to win the fight. And, you know, and, uh, that, I think that's the difference between the competitor and the fighter, the fighters going in, they're trying to win every, every round, trying to finish every, every, uh, every fight and how it ends up is how it ends up. And then you got guys that like, I'm going to do enough to win, you know, and I think it's important to go in there with that killer mentality to win the fight, to finish the fight. And I think that takes you farther in the long run, you know, of course, fight smart, you know, you don't want to do anything silly, but you got to go in there with that killer mentality. I think that's, that's super important. And I feel like I had that early. I never really thought about the wins or the loss. I just always thought about the fight and going in there and kind of hurting the guy and trying to finish him and put, you know, put my, you know, put my efforts on or put, you know, put it on him really. And um, that's kind of like, that's how I feel. And even as I coach now, I'm like, you got to go in there. No matter what happens in the first round, we're trying to finish them. We come out in the second, we got to go do the same thing. Like you cannot ease off, you know, they might come back stronger. Like it doesn't matter. Every round has got to be like a new, a new fight, a new, like, let's go in there and do the same thing. Let's try to hurt them, try to finish them. You know? So that's, I, I think the fighter mentality of finishing the fight is always going to be the best. And usually that guy has the, the advantage over the fight. Hmm. Uh, you, you, you kind of, this is a good segue, but you mentioned basically you took each fight as its own individual fight. Now you lost two fights to Chris Cariasso, who went on to have a very successful run in the WEC and, and the UFC. And I'd like to del delve into the mental toughness it takes to deal with two losses to the same fighter. It does happen, you know, fairly commonly you beat, uh, I think David Barrios, you beat him in your first two fights. So you'd put that on somebody else early on in your career and, and you, you lose by decision to carry off. So at Shamrock versus Brony, you went to your next three before getting a rematch with him, uh, which you end up, you end up losing by finish, but having lost previously to a fighter, do you feel added pressure to get that one back, so to speak, or is it, you kind of touch on it, but is it just another fight and it doesn't really matter what has happened before? Um, for that, for that one in particular, like the first fight, when I look at it, I, I thought I won. You know, so I felt leaving that fight, I left it all in there. It, it was, was definitely close. Good. I I watched it. it was It was definitely yeah. close. And so I think I, I, you know, I still feel like I thought I won. I did. I, you know, there's fights that you fight and you're like, ah, I feel like I won that fight. I left it in there. I did what I, I, you know, I did everything I could do. I thought I won the fight. I they got the decision. So, you know, when you leave the fight in there, that's, that's the good thing. Win or lose. You're like, I lost the fight, but you know, I left it in there and it was a close fight. 
the second fight, I was more excited, you know, like to fight him again because we had such a good first fight. And he came out with, you know, he was a little more gamed. He played a little bit more mixed martial arts um, using all his game. You know, he took me down. He made me grapple. And I went in there with the mindset of like, we're going to fight again. We're going to we're going to kind of go at it. So, um, you know, more than the added pressure, I was more excited to get it back and fight him again. You know, he he won. He definitely won that fight. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, obviously hard to argue with. It was a, a rear naked choke in the the second round. And and he it was just it was a much different fight in that one. Um yeah. he, he just he was he was all over you to be honest, be honest with you. He grappled me the whole fight. Like we were I was thinking of standing up and fighting and the whole fight where he's having he's grappling on my back, you know, mounted on my back. He, he stayed on top the whole time. And you know, that was me evolving you know as a fighter as well like those losses all my losses i've i evolved i've always went back fixed everything so like i said i started as a, a striker a boxer and a taekwondo and kickboxer learned wrestling during my pro career learned jiu-jitsu during my pro career so you know i don't i don't take anything away from my losses i i i learned from them and um i try to pass it on to the people that i coach now like i feel like it's it's helped me be a better coach Okay. All right. Well, so, and let me ask about losing streaks and winning streaks. So this, that second loss to carry us, and I'm looking at your record right now, you ended up, uh, you got a draw in there, but basically you got, you lost five of six fights and the carry one was the second one. And then you lost three, your next four with one being a draw, but then you go on a pretty, a pretty good winning streak and you win, uh, five of your next six fights and end up, end up ending your career at winning seven of your last nine fights. So is there like, I mean, being that you fight so infrequently, if you're busy, you're fighting every three or four months, is it difficult to kind of deal with like a a losing streak or winning streak? Does it feel like a streak? Or again, is it just fight by fight? You forget what happened or you try to learn from the last fight, whatever happened, and you just kind of move forward. Or do you feel like, man, I'm on a winning streak and I need to continue that or man, I'm on a losing streak. I need to stop this. My mentality was like, I lost those four. It was a different weight class. If you look, I finally, when the, the, when I started winning the winning streak again, I finally dropped down to 125. Mm. I was fighting much bigger guys. They're all 135. And even those last two that I fought that I have losses on, I felt like I won them. It was Shorty Rock and Alex Perez. They're both title fights. And I thought I won those fights, you know, but I didn't get the win. I didn't get those decisions, but, um, uh, I, like I said, those losses that I had early, they never like steered me away from, from my motivation to learn and get better and grow. I never took me out of, you know, it just put me more, I was a little more hungry to learn. I need to like, like I went and learned wrestling. I went to, I went to Gilroy high school and learned wrestling with coach Armando for two years. I put myself in a wrestling room. Um, I, I learned jujitsu. I put myself in a gi and I learned jujitsu and you know, now I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I got my black belt under Leandro uh, Vieira. So rather than it like deterring me and me worrying about the losses, they did not feel good. It was, it was tough, but it didn't stop me from growing. You know, I didn't, I used it to grow, to get better. And I've always kind of been more of a martial artist fighting than like a fighter just training to fight. You know, mm-hmm. I've always, I always used it to come back and like, all right, I need to go get my wrestling, better. I'm going to go put myself in wrestling it was tough. I never gave up. I never looked back. I never thought twice about giving up or even like slowing down or putting that pressure of like, I have to win. I just trained for each fight 
and got better each time, each time, each time. And as, and as soon as that weight class and I was able to jump in that new weight class too, I, I think that also, I kind of found my home there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be huge. If you're, you know, not even cutting weight, I, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to do better if you can get in where you can cut a, at least a little bit of weight. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Well, I, I I'm going to, I want to ask one more question about, about losing and then we'll move on to uh, yeah. a couple other things, but the, the two losses to carry off. So, I mean, how do you move on from that as a fighter? Is it's like, God, I got to get one against this guy. Or again, you just kind of <laughs> learn from it and move on. And, and, do you take any solace in knowing that, I mean, Kerry also went on a challenge for the UFC flyweight title. I mean, obviously very successful career. So obviously a very good fighter. Does that, you know, kind of may soften it a little bit, knowing that you, you beat a guy who was also very good. Um, and again, how do you kind of move on from that as a fighter? You just kind of just on to the next one. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, when I see him in there and I'm like, man, that's, that's awesome that he made it. You know, I'm, I'm glad I'm happy for him. And, I still feel like I won that first fight, but he got me in the second one. So it, it didn't really matter. So it's always good to see someone I fought and had a good fight would do really well. That always kind of made me, you know, I'm always cheering for them in a sense. Um, same thing with Perez. He just fought for the title. Hmm, that's right. And, and uh, you know, and he, he decisioned me and you know, the, uh, at Tachi, we fought for the belt. And I, again, I thought I won, but I, I took me too long to turn it on in that fight. Um, you know, the, the, that was, it was good to see him make it to the, to that, to that, like the pinnacle and fight for the title and watch him come up and knowing that I fought him and kind of like got to share the cage with him. And, you know, I was, I'm cheering for him, you know, in a sense. Um, but plus, I don't know. plus I would also say probably being that you guys are both 25ers and, and knowing that that's kind of the as far as the men's divisions goes, that's the one that probably gets the least amount of respect, whether you yeah. know, fairly or unfairly. So I would think it's maybe a little bit more of a, a brotherhood, you know, amongst the guys that, you know, basically built that division, you know? So I, I would imagine that you get, are going to pull for those guys anyways, because you're all, you know, cut from the same cloth basically. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you, as we mentioned, you've had the Jim and Gilroy for, for a long, long time. Ant dogs, MMA, um, you last fought in, uh, it was 2017, I believe. Um, talk to us about transitioning from fighting into coaching. I mean, based on what we've discussed, you sound like a very cerebral fighter that you're always very much thinking about improving and all that stuff. So it sounds like you were just really tailor made for, for coaching. So I assume that was an easy transition for you, but, but talk about that. How, how was that transition? Um, from fighting to coaching, it was, it was pretty simple. Cause I've been, I, ever since I had the gym and you know, I've been coaching in the gym and I've taught kids martial arts for a very long time. So it was a pretty simple transition. It was, it was, if it was good to like, all right, I'm done fighting. It's time to give back like a hundred percent. And now I can spend a little bit more time on, uh, you know, just giving back. Cause when I used to fight, I would have to like get a little bit selfish and, and train for myself and, you know, things would kind of like, you know, I would just be training more for myself. So I wouldn't worry as much or give back as much to the classes maybe that I was teaching. So as I'm, I'm transitioning to coach now, it's like, I can give back more. I can kind of see a little bit more from the outside and critique everybody a little bit better. And so it's kind of simple for me, to be honest, it's kind of been simple to transition, especially since I, I ran the gym. So yeah. Long. Yeah. I, was, I mean, you've had, I said, said you've had that gym for a long time. So yeah. it, it's, you've been working with other, other athletes in some way, shape or form for, yeah. for a long time. So, 
Um, all right. Well, talk about who you're coaching. I mean, I, I, I know that you were recently cornering somebody in Bellator. Um, I believe you got a UFC fighter in your stable. I, and I believe your son, Anthony, has even, has even fought a couple fights as well. So talk about who you're currently working with from, you know, the major promotions and, uh, you know, give us, give us an idea of what the, the Ant Dog stable sounds like right now. Yeah. So just, just real quick too, to just kind of touch back on like that transition from coach, from fighter to coach. I also feel like all those losses I got and all those, those hardships and, and the learning curves, I kind of, I've learned a lot through my career and I'm able to like make sure that these guys don't make the same mistakes in a sense, make sure they're prepared all the way around, you know, make sure that we're, we're taking the right kind of fights at the right time. Um, you know, that's one thing that I, I just took fights. I'm like, let's fight. So, so now as coaching, I can, I see all those things in, that I did, maybe I could have done better. And now I'm making sure, you know, these new guys are not, not doing that. So hmm. that's a good, that helped me in the transition from fighting to coaching. Okay. I'm working with, and as far as like, I'm working with Kyle Crutchmere, he's in Bellator. He's a like all American wrestler. We have another all American wrestler, Nick Pinchinini. I, I don't know, Nick Pinchinini. He's, he's another all American wrestler who's, who's hasn't fought yet, but he's going to be coming up. Uh, my niece, Brianna Van Buren, she's in UFC. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my son, my son, Anthony uh, Figueroa, he fought in Bellator. Right. Um, there's, there's a handful of amateurs. There's, there's a handful of, uh, that I've worked with at the gym, you know, making champions like amateur champions that are, that right now things really slow down. Right. It's yeah. Crazy yeah. Right now. COVID and everything. So yeah. I'm kind of just working with this, the small group of the pros right now. You know, um, I know we're bringing in another guy. His name's uh, Jacoby. He's another All-American. Um, so we're kind of have a small group right now that I'm working with, and we're just building up, and, and we're going to be coming out. I worked with Adam Antolin, Ant Doe. You know, they, Ant Doe fought in uh, one. It was that one FC series. I don't forgot which, what it is, but it's out there in Singapore. It's kind of like Dana yeah. White contender series, but for one. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we went out there. Uh, Adam Antolin, he fought in the – he fought for Dana White Contender Series. Fought for Bellator. He was on the Ultimate Fighter show. Awesome. And these guys, and these guys, a lot of these guys, they've been my teammates. So, so I'm transitioning again from like teammate to coach now, and just putting in work and kind of guiding them and working with them and just making sure they're putting in the right reps and and it's just also just holding holding accountable and being there and showing up and making sure they're showing up and putting in the work together. That sounds like a, a great group of, of fighters. And and for listeners that don't know, Gilroy is known for wrestling. Gilroy High School specifically is known for having some really good wrestlers. And then, of course, uh, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, uh, very well-known boxers from Gilroy, too. And DC's the I, – I believe he's still the the wrestling coach at, at Gilroy High School. He's I know still that the was, head coach. Yeah, he's still the head coach, right? Yeah, <laughs> so there's great wrestling pedigree in that area. So, um, you know, it makes sense that you would have some, some very good wrestlers in, yeah. your, in your gym for sure. And those guys, uh, the Kyle, Kyle's like, he's the, he's a, he's one of the head coaches for the Gilroy wrestling. Nick's one of the head coaches for Gilroy wrestling. So it's kind of cool. We're making a pretty good circle there. The head coaches I'm able to work with, um, right here in town too. So, and they're still at AKA, they're still at AKA, you know, they're representing AKA. So, um, it's, uh, we're building a good team right now. Awesome. It's, it's I would say it's the beginning of something really good about to happen in the next year or two. Okay. As long as uh, the society co- co- cooperates. Well, as long as society cooperates, but we're also essential because sports yeah. are still going on. Yeah, they are. 
That's so true. we're still we're still working, you know, we're still working. It's just unfortunate. Like my gym's shut down. I'm like, crap, you know, um, yeah. I got to be outside. You know, I, I built an outdoor gym to be oh, outside, okay. but now it's a little bit cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully this thing turns around before too long and we can just get back to, well, as normal as possible. Yeah. Um, well, we're just, we're, we're about to wrap up uh, again, your gym website, antdogsmma.com. Anybody that's in the Bay area, especially the South Bay, I've been to your gym a couple of times, years and years ago. It's definitely a, a good place to, to go to and a good team and, and all that stuff. But is there anything else that you'd like to, to mention to the listen, listeners, social media or anything like that? Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't really have much other than, uh, I hope they open everything back up here soon. And, um, you know, the andogsmma.com is the website. We're here in town um, and we're building up. So okay. if, you, if, you, if you want to be part of a team and, you know, I'm looking for, for all American wrestlers to come in, be part of the team. There you go. All right. Well, two, uh, two final questions. Uh, one, the first one is what, out of all your wins, what is the one that sticks out as like, this is my signature one. This is where I put it all together. This is the one where I really put my skill set and fought my fight. Is there one win that really sticks out in your mind that you want to mention? Oh, it's kind of tough. Cause the guy's a good guy. He was a good guy <laughs> well, and I like him and we still kind of talk, but it was the one when I went down to 29 palms, it was my last fight at 35s. And uh, you know, they kind of brought me in to like, they knew I was a littler guy the dude was like probably 155 when we fought and I was still 130 or something, 133. And, uh, you know, he had some, he had some tough wrestling. He was going to be, he was a tough guy, but everything kind of like came together there. My wrestling, my jujitsu, just the ground and pound, the top position. And, uh, I was able to finish that fight, finish him. You know, I sprawled, he tried to wrestle. I sprawled hard and, and I ended up finishing that fight. It was against Drew Bittner. Okay. He's such a good guy, though. He's such a good guy. And well, it doesn't make him any less of a good nah, guy. No, <laughs> but I don't like to use him as like that. But that was the one that was like a pivotal moment for me right there. Okay. All yeah. right. He was and everything he was all, came together. He was undefeated at 4 0 coming into that fight based on uh, what I'm looking at. So, yeah. Yeah. He was. Makes it a little sweeter, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. And then, final question. And uh, I'll, I'll, give you a little bit of context on this but uh kung lee his answer was was daniel cormier we've heard some others but who is the fight the first fighter that really comes to mind when you hear strike force like who personify personifies strike force for you we've heard dc we've heard others have said kung we've heard gilbert melendez but like who's the guy that's like strike force all right that's the guy that 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 really represents personifies the promotion I think there's, I don't think it's one guy. I kind of feel like it's the whole, the whole Bay area, like that, like the San Jose area. I think Kung, definitely. I think Josh Thompson, I think Gilbert Melendez, you know, I think the whole, um, the whole stable around here, you know, uh, DC really picked it up towards the end there, like and showed, showed the world, you know, uh, and then he went to, to UFC and did the same thing in UFC. Right. So, but I mean, I think it's, all, I think it's kind of all of them collectively. Okay. You know? Okay. That, that's, fair yeah. I don't, I don't really have one. I mean, you have Jose Palacios was in there, like the whole area. I feel like uh, just the Bay area in general, when you think of strike force, I think of like North Northern California, the Bay area, all the top fighters that came from here. 
Yeah, Rockhold and yeah, just, but there's tons of good people don't realize it, but there were you mentioned Palacios and I remember seeing him fight elsewhere too. I think he fought in Gladiator Challenge and just different guys like that. That there was a lot of really talented fighters on the undercard too, you know. And I yeah. mean Luke, Luke Stewart doesn't get uh, mentioned a whole lot, but the guy had nine MMA fights and all nine of them were in strike force. Yeah, Luke Stewart, that's right. James yeah. Terry. Yep, James Terry. You got, yeah. you got all these guys that that were uh Justin Wilcox. Yeah, there was a yeah, lot of that's right. just killer guys that, that were in that promotion for sure. And a lot of the a lot of the guys that made it to the UFC or went on to go to the UFC, I'll say they all did really, really good. Yeah, yeah. There weren't like a whole lot. There were I've kind of gone through that. And we haven't even mentioned the, you know, the female fires. We haven't there would be, you know, women's MMA and UFC is Dana had said he would never do women's MMA and and then strike force, you know, really put them on the map in North America and Rhonda and Misha and, you know, Cyborg and all the uh, Gina and pretty all much these, all I mean, of them. Yeah. They all pretty much came through strike force and that's, and Scott Coker deserves a lot of credit for giving them that platform to, you know, to make that happen. And, and they put their, they put strike force on their shoulders too, you know, yeah. so pretty amazing uh, promotion. That's why we're going back through it on, on the podcast, but uh, yeah. Anthony, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was great uh, chatting with you and getting your, you know, very unique perspective and, uh, Best of luck to you, but, but thanks for joining us on Inside the Hexagon. Hey, thank you. All right, before we wrap things up, I wanted to do something a little bit different here. Anthony and I kept speaking after the interview had concluded, and I had forgotten to ask him. I wanted to know why he kind of left Strike Force and why he didn't you know, really get into the WEC and later the UFC, especially as they uh, started a, a, a flyweight division. He'd fought some of the guys that would end up fighting in the UFC and, and again, including Chris Cariasso, who would challenge Demetrius Johnson for the, the flyweight title. So I wanted to get into that. So it, it kind of, we, I'm going to play that clip. It's a couple minutes and we kind of cut in kind of mid sentence from, from Anthony, but he's basically explaining, uh, he's gone going through some of the, the testing and some of the different things they have to deal with as fighters, as far as their health. And he talks about something that happened to him when he was young and then how it kind of affected him. It ended up kind of cutting his, his career short. So uh, with that, we're just going to jump right back in, let Anthony explain, and then we'll wrap things up. Hit in the head with the softball and it gave me a, a brain bleed. So, and I was boxing by then too. I was ready boxed. That's when I was like boxer and I got hit in the head, got a brain bleed, went to the hospital, you know, okay. I, I was okay. The brain, the blood clot went away, you know, so I was okay. So there's a little scar in my brain. So I couldn't box through teenage, my teenage years. They wouldn't clear me to box again for a long time. Uh, so right about 20 years old, 2021, 20, I started to the whole Taekwondo thing again. And I started doing the, the amateur, uh, I started doing the kickboxing, the amateur kickboxing. They don't, they don't do an MRI and none of that stuff. You can just, you can just fight. And so then 2006, I became professional, right? You have to do your MRIs and everything. I went down and I, I did all these, I had to do these special tests because they noticed that that scar was there. And I was like, okay, so I'll go do what you guys need to do and see if I can get cleared. And, and so they cleared me. The California CSAC cleared me. 2012, I was getting ready to fight. Um, I don't know. I forgot. McCorkerskin, McCork, Taylor, Taylor McCorkerson or something like that. So I had to get another MRI because it's like you have to do it every, I want to say five years or something. And so I go to get the MRI and then they notice that. I'm like, oh, it's cool. It was there before. Like, hey, is it bigger? Is it smaller? They're like, it's actually shrunk. So they, the doctor is like, but I can't clear you because there's new wording in here. So I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll call CSAC. They'll send me to their doctor. So then they, I tried to do this and then they would not clear me. So I tried to do an appeal. 
they would not clear me. So I never got to get my license back. Oh, that's what happened. Oh yeah. And I went and I tried to appeal and everything. So even Bellator even tried to help me and, and uh, like all these promotions tried to help me because they wanted me to fight for them. Right. I I couldn't, I couldn't get cleared, but none of the doctors Ah. cleared me. So, so that's why I went out in casinos. Okay. Well, cause yeah. Cause then you don't have the reg- the regulatory bodies yeah, and dealing with yeah. all that stuff. Ah. So towards the end, when I went like that seven and two or whatever it was, you know, I was just, I was fighting more for the love. Yeah, I knew I couldn't, ta- ta- I ta- couldn't ta- go. I'm looking at your, yeah. Tachi palace. You fought a bunch of time for Tachi palace. So, yeah. 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 King of the cage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Notice, right there. Yeah. And in between there was trying to get it fixed, but they, they never, they never wanted to like ah. fix it. I was like, damn. Well, that's unfortunate. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of the long, that's the, the, the story of why and what happened to kind of help me would also transition from. Yeah. Cause you, you, you knew you had a, a glass ceiling on top of you there. You couldn't, there was only couldn't so much go. you're going to be able to do. Yeah. So once I didn't get that belt from, from uh, Perez, like I was like, all right, that's what I was just kind of chasing. I was like, all right, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And then I didn't want to go out with the loss. So I went and fought one more yeah, time with yeah, Garza. Eloy Garza. Yeah. Garza. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, I want to thank my very special guest, Anthony Antdog Figueroa, for taking the time to be with us on the show this week. It was a, uh, you know, a very intriguing conversation, in my opinion. I really enjoyed talking with him and getting the getting his point of view on things. I, I know that fighters in general don't like talking about losses, but Anthony was good enough to uh, to really share his mentality and kind of how he's learned from those and how he's applying what he learned uh, towards the fighters that he's training, like his his niece, Brianna Van Buren, and uh, his son and some of the others that he's working with. So I, I really appreciate Anthony taking that time. And again, if you're in the, the South Bay, if you're in the San Jose area, definitely check out Anthony's gym and uh, make sure that uh, if you're looking to, to get involved, whether it's get in shape or, or actually become a fighter, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that can teach you better than Anthony Figueroa. So make sure that you uh, check that out. Make sure you also check us out on our upcoming episodes. On our next show, we are going to be delving into Strike Force, uh, their second Playboy Mansion show, Strike Force at the Mansion uh, Two, and this is an interesting card. It, it doesn't have the star power of of you know Shamrock versus Lee and uh, Melendez versus Thompson, some of those events, but it does have some very intriguing fights. You see a rematch between Trevor Prangley and Anthony Anthony Ruiz, uh, which ends up having much more decisive ending this time than their their first fight two years ago in Strike Force. Uh, we also talk about the main event, which is Kazuo Misaki versus Joe Diesel Riggs, which ends in a very controversial fashion. Uh, Josh Thompson makes a quick turnaround and he fights in a non-title fight. And this is actually his last strike force fight for 14 months. Uh, so we get into that fight. There's also a very good fight between Corey, the one Devella and UFC veteran Terry Martin. So there's a lot to get to uh, in that, uh, that event. So we're looking forward to covering that. Uh, we're working on our next fighter interview after that. Uh, I'm not sure who that's going to be quite yet, but we're working on that. And then beyond that, uh, we have an upcoming interview with Babalu, Renato uh, Sobral, the, uh, the the Strike Force light former Strike Force light heavyweight champion. Uh, we're going to be speaking with him. Uh, we're also supposed to talk with uh, Frank Trigg. Um, that that probably won't be until we get into uh, 2021. But we do have some cool stuff coming up. We got some cool fighters lined up. So make sure 
that you stay tuned. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Hexagon Pod. We had some really great interactions over the last couple of weeks with fighters like Josh Thompson and Gilbert Melendez. So again, at Hexagon Pod uh, or at Inside the Hexagon Pod. That's our, our uh, Instagram handle name. You can follow us on there as well. We're always trying to put out content. And again, we want to hear from you. You can reach me at Phil at InsideTheHexagon.com. Would love to get your feedback on what you think about the show, uh, what we can do more of, what we should do less of, et cetera, et cetera. So please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. And uh, if you reach out, hey, who knows, you might get a little little Strike Force prize. So if you can, uh, reach out. And also, please, if you can, rate and review the show. We've got uh, we've got several reviews, uh, rating and reviews up on Apple Podcasts. Would love for you to join in that. Let us know what you think about the show. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. And we will see you soon. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.